you have stumbled upon the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. You still have time to hit pause and find whatever podcast you were really looking for, but if you stick around, you'll hear a replay of the sermon from our Sunday morning service. We replay that sermon each week for anyone who may have missed the morning service. This particular sermon was from September 11, 2022, and the text was 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. So I wonder, I was going to open with a question of whether whether you have ever had a really bad boss. And as Carl was sharing, I thought you probably shouldn't raise your hands if you work for somebody that we know in case there would be some uh, interpretation going on there. But, but I'm not really thinking about incompetent in this case. I'm thinking about bad along the lines of somebody who is cruel to you or sort of emotionally abusive, or, or that kind of thing. And so if you can think of somebody like that, picture it in your mind right now, or, or maybe your bosses have all been perfect, and, but there's somebody in your life maybe that has had authority, and you have seen them abuse that authority, and you have been really frustrated. I haven't heard a lot of stories from any of you about really, really bad situations, but it does happen in our world And when it happens, we, as followers of Jesus, ask the question, how do I live as a Christian in that moment? And I think Paul, Paul kind of is addressing that topic. He's, it's, in some ways I find these two verses incredibly simple, but also extremely difficult. So we'll, we'll just go work at them right now. First one, all slaves should, all slaves should show full respect for their masters so they will not bring shame on the name of God and his teaching. So none of us are slaves this morning, but we all have some kind of authority over us. We are under that authority, and and perhaps we've experienced some really cruel or abusive authority at some point. And Paul says in those moments, we should show respect for that authority. And then he tells us why. The why is so that we don't bring shame on the name of our God and his teaching. And this brought to my mind one of the last conversations I had with Ralph Miller sometime right before, not right, right before, but it was one of the last ones I had of length while he was, a, I was able to visit with him and he was sharing the story about a time in World War II or that period he had been working at home on the farm with what I believe was called an agricultural deferment, along with a lot of other young men. My grandfather in a different state, all at the same time, was also working on a farm with an agricultural deferment. And so Ralph Ralph was in that situation, along with many other men here on the peninsula, and at one point, the government asked everybody with an agricultural deferment to gather to ride a certain train up north to a military camp somewhere in order to, to be evaluated for the possibility of their service if they needed to be drafted despite their agricultural deferments. I think he said the train started in Salisbury and went right on up through, through the western part of Sussex County and had hundreds of people on it. And so he rode it up to somewhere in New Jersey, I think he said, but I might be wrong. 
And all of the men, the young men on that train, were in the same legal status. They were at home working on various farms under this agricultural service opportunity. And many of them, had they been asked, would have been willing and able to serve in the military, but they were working on their farms instead, and the nation needed farmers at this time. And so even though they were in a bureaucratic situation and all of that normal thing of being interviewed and checked out health-wise, they were mostly treated with good respect and kindness. But Ralph said that someone somewhere, he never knew why or who, on his stack of papers that he got, had written two letters up in the top corner, a C and an O. And Ralph spent that whole day getting mocked and getting ordered around here and there because they knew he was a conscientious objector. And strangely, Ralph said, for he was the only one of the Mennonite men who were on that train that had those two letters on their paper, and he doesn't know why, so the other, the other people from Greenwood here who had ridden that train, they just went through the day and they kind of fit in. But Ralph had two letters on his piece of paper that changed his day. And he didn't tell this story to make fun of anybody or to complain about something that happened so many years before. He shared the story with me, and I'm sharing it with you, essentially for the same reason. Ralph knew that he was being watched that day. In some ways, he was being tested and evaluated that day. Would he live out what he believed? Would he bring honor or would he bring shame to the name of Jesus and to his belief that Jesus says we should love everyone, even our enemies? So with God's help, Ralph said he spent that day taking that abuse. He was directed here and there for pointless reasons and had to go back, and he would respond everything with graciousness and honor. He wanted to bring honor and not shame upon the name of God and his teaching, as Paul phrases it here. Of course, sometimes the people that we interact with in life who are our authorities are people who are Christians. And Paul says, essentially, that we should do the same thing. He says, if the masters are believers, there's no excuse for being disrespectful. These slaves should work all the harder because their efforts are helping other believers who are well-loved. So I think we would hope that all Christians would always act with honor and respect and grace and dignity. And ideally, Christians with positions of authority in this world would use that authority the way Jesus would tell us to, to serve, to sacrifice for those under authority. But unfortunately, it does not actually work out that way all the time, and sometimes Christians fail. And in those times, I think Paul would say we are supposed to do the same thing, to show full respects. So we do not bring shame on the name of our God. And he seems to go on and say, and if these people are Christians it should actually make it a little bit easier for us because we recognize how much God loves them. We recognize their value. Even if in that moment they're not being everybody that God would want, we can still understand who they are in Christ and respond with love. So I think in some ways it's a fairly straightforward concept, but it is really, really hard to live out. Ralph's experience was, was memorable for him, but but he acknowledged it was relatively minor in the big scheme of things compared to what many people have to deal with. And it was a single day. But what if he had had to live this way every day, all the time? 
that's when it gets really hard. Or maybe you have a boss that's really abusive and manipulative and it's really frustrating and you can hardly bear it, but you know that at any time you can decide, I'm done and you can walk out of there. And there'll be some financial consequences, but you're free. But, but Paul was writing to slaves who might have had that same kind of abusive situation, manipulative situation, and by definition, a slave can't leave. They're stuck there. What do we do? We, we get, at least to me, I think the principle is pretty easy. In those moments, we have to live in a way that brings honor to God and to God's teaching. But how in the world do we live this out? It gets really, really hard. There are a lot of questions. And so in those moments, we're going to need leaders within the church who are going to know how to guide us and to teach us and to mentor us. So it's a fairly simple concept, maybe fiendishly difficult to live out. But I think that is our passage for today. But I guess I ask you, I have a question for you, which might might matter or it might not. Why did Paul write these words right here? I know that when, we, when we've been preaching through books, sometimes we get some comments, mostly cordial, but some comments about how we always go back and we preach the last week's sermon over again and we call it context. And I, I kind of get that, but bear with me for a minute and let me remind you where we've been and give you a glimpse of where we're going and why I ask this question of why did Paul write these words right here? Beginning of chapter 5, Paul wrote advice about how the church should care for widows, and we talked about how in our application that would give us counsel and advice about how to care for the people in our, in our congregations who have financial needs. And then the rest of chapter 5, Paul gave advice about how the church should care for church leaders, and we talked about financial care and accountability, about choosing them carefully and making sure we discern who they are before we call them into these positions. And then Paul talks about slavery in our passage for today, and it seems kind of a transition, but then he goes back in verse 3, and he's going to talk about church leaders again, but this time with a thought on warnings against teachers who will lead falsely, or leaders who will teach falsely, and who do this hoping to earn great wealth. And then he talks about how contentment will be protection from these temptations of wealth. And as I read this for many times at first, it just seems like Paul sticks these verses about slavery in right in the middle of a section talking about leaders, about how, how we should care for leaders, warnings against leaders, and why in the world does he leave this discussion on leaders and suddenly dive into slavery? And I guess I ask the question, is that really what he's doing? My... When I started preaching here, my father gave me a set of commentaries, some that he had really appreciated over the years, and he wouldn't give me his set. Maybe Irene or Ruth would get them, because he's not done with them yet, but he bought a, bought a set for me. And they were published in the 60s, and i are getting a little old, but I thought, you know, First Timothy was published in the 60s as well, but different 60s. But anyway, the, it's not really a, a pointless story. I have really come to appreciate this in part because it has helped me think about a lot of different topics. But in this passage, the author referred to somebody who asked a really interesting question. What if Paul is not changing the topic here at all? 
He's still writing about church leaders. He's given instructions about church leaders and situations that church leaders face. And these are instructions about how church leaders should live when those church leaders are under the yoke of slavery. And so now all of a sudden the passage flows for me. Timothy, take care of your leaders. Hold them accountable. Call new leaders cautiously. Take time to discern their character. And those leaders who are slaves should be sure they live honorably so that our God is honored and they should not be disrespectful to their master. But be sure that you watch out for leaders who do stir up trouble or leaders who teach falsely and watch out for leaders who use their position for financial gain. The New American Standard starts our passage, all who are under the yoke as slaves. And I found myself thinking, if I had read this more carefully, would I have asked all of who? Paul has just been writing about elders. Is it at least possible that this is the all he's talking about? Now, to be clear, this commentator and I are both just wondering, but this fits the context. It explains why Paul addresses just slaves in this situation instead of doing what he usually does, which is address slaves and masters both. You can look at Ephesians 6 for that. So it's just a guess, but, but it got me thinking and... and I must admit that when I encountered this question, I was kind of convicted because I had never considered it at, at all before. And I got to wondering, why was it that I could read this passage many times and never consider this possible way in which Paul was thinking? And I think it's because it had never occurred to me that a church might call, as one of their elders, somebody who in their life outside the church is a slave. But then why wouldn't it occur to me? Being a slave strangely, might be very useful in preparing somebody to be an elder within the church. If part of what it means is to be, to be an elder is to have walked with Jesus in many very difficult times, to have developed maturity and refinement, to know what it is to honor God even when life is difficult, well, somebody who has been under the bondage of slavery is going to be prepared in a unique way. That person will be ready to mentor and teach in a way that the rest of us might not be able to. But I was thinking, you know, in my life as I've, as I've gone around and as I've interacted with friends and different churches and their churches, and my observations are that congregations tend to choose as their elders men who are successful and prosperous in their private lives. The elders that I have, can think of in my mind tend to be men who own farms or businesses, usually prosperous businesses, rarely ever ones that are struggling terribly. Sometimes it's men who have high-level management positions in churches, I mean in their businesses, and these are the men that we call to be leaders in our churches, sometimes people with high uh, professional skills. So this is my experience of who churches call as elders. So when I read this passage, it never occurred to me that, that maybe in Timothy's church they were asking some slaves to be elders as well. But why, why wouldn't I think about that? I, I've read Galatians 3.28 hundreds of times in my life. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But it got to thinking, maybe I don't really believe it. Maybe somehow I still have a distinction between free and slave or prosperous and poor, and I think that somehow there's some spiritual maturity with the one and not the other. Because, see, as I was, as I was sharing about what these verses mean or as I was thinking about them, I, t 
to me, the concept of living for Jesus in the middle of a difficult situation, that's what Paul is asking of us, that seems pretty straightforward. But every time I start to think about that, I ask questions about the details. What about this? How is this going to work? It's really hard to know how to live for Jesus in the middle of... Well, we don't have slavery now, but those times when authority is abusing you or manipulating you and you are under bad authority, how do you represent Jesus in that place? How do you bring honor to the name of Jesus in that moment? It's hard. And in the church, when life gets really hard and we don't know what to do, we are to turn to the elders of the church for mentoring and for advice. That's, that's how it is. But But what if you have a church where all of the elders are men who are wealthy and prosperous and powerful and professional guys, and you're coming to them as a slave? How do I live as a slave? They won't be able to help you at all. Even if they say the right words, it's going to be really hard to take it from them if they're telling you how to live under this burden of abusive authority if in their lives there are 150 guys doing what they say all day long, five days a week. But what if some of the elders in a congregation were slaves? What if they'd spent decades living faithfully for Jesus and honoring him with their words and their actions, even under the yoke of slavery? Then when we encounter a situation, we can come to somebody who says, I can give you advice and I can walk with you. I've been there. I know what it's like. So that elder would be able to give excellent guidance and counsel to us. So in Paul's church, or at least in his day, there were people who were slaves within the congregations. And so suddenly it occurs to me that these congregations would almost have to have called slaves as some of their elders in order to have somebody there who is going to be able to mentor and guide a person who is stuck in that situation. And how would the church be different? How would our church be different if if we routinely called people from the very lowest aspects of society into leadership within the church? People who are filled with the Spirit and walk with Jesus and are transformed, certainly, but people who came from the lowest of the low aspects. I've I've heard, uh, it's come up in Sunday school a number of times and just in conversations, a lot of People at least sometimes wonder out loud whether or not our church in the United States might be, might be heading towards a time of greater persecution. I don't know if that's true or not, but I got to thinking as I was studying this passage, if that's the situation that we might face someday, if our congregations are primarily led by men who have spent their earthly lives with power and wealth and respect in their communities, they're going to be kind of useless at guiding us when we encounter a situation in which we are treated badly and which authority abuses us. In fact, those particular men are probably going to need somebody they can turn to and say, I need help knowing how to respond. I am used to something that is gone, and what does it mean to follow Jesus in this place? But if our congregations have in our elder boards people who are from the low places of society, but have still walked with Jesus, we will be able to receive guidance in that moment. Or even if it's just an economic upheaval and nothing nothing political out there at all, but but suddenly there's a time in our community when things change. If, If the elders are people who have been wealthy and prosperous, and suddenly their wealth disappears like vapor, 
they are going to be the ones who are going to need help. What does it mean to live for Jesus poor? I don't know what it is. And so we need elders who have done that. But I don't want to sound pessimistic. What I actually expect to happen, be more likely, is that the church will continue as it is, with people turning to Jesus from all aspects of society, from rich and poor and everywhere in the middle, from powerful and powerless and all in between. And so we need in the church elders who will be from all of those aspects of society to mentor, to teach, and to train all of us, no matter who we are, to follow Jesus in our circumstances in a way that brings honor to the name of God. Well, I think the, the, the idea is pretty straightforward from our passage. If you find yourself under abusive authority, show respect for that authority. Don't bring shame on the name of God. And I think we need to learn to call leaders who are going to walk from all aspects of society so that we have people who will mentor us in those kind of situations. Because when we're calling leaders, we should remember there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So good leaders will help us learn to live in a difficult world. Now, my passage is technically one and two. I want to finish off, finish off my passage. Depending on your English translation, the last part of verse two is the close of the paragraph or the beginning of the next. It stands by itself and it makes a great closure. Paul writes, teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. You have been listening to the Tressler Mennonite Sermon from September 11th, 2022. The passage was 1 Timothy 6, 1-2. Take care.